0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of This Week in Salsa. And today on the show, we are going to be replaying one of my favorite episodes from this past year. We're going to be replaying our interview with Jonathan Goldman, who is the author of a great article called Fania at 50. And the reason we are replaying this is, listen, this is all about... Boogaloo. If you have read that article, if you've listened to this interview previously, you know it's a lot about Boogaloo. Well, why is that important? Why am I replaying this? Well, recently, actually December 2nd, Juan Flores passed away. Now, Juan Flores, for those of you who do not know, was very influential in the Latin community, also in the Latin dance community. He was the director of Latino studies at New York University, and he was also a professor of social and cultural analysis. He basically dedicated much of his life to Latin studies, but specifically Puerto Rican studies. Uh, He was also a guy who just loved Boogaloo. He uh, was actually in the process of working on a biography about Eddie Palmieri when he passed away. Um, And he was 71 years old, so not a young guy, but certainly could have had a lot more life in him. So we're really sad to lose him. And I hope you enjoy this replay of the episode again, because Juan Flores was a big, big fan of Boogaloo, and Jonathan Goldman, during our interview, really does a great job of explaining what Boogaloo is, what Boogaloo is not, and some of the stories surrounding the rise of Boogaloo in the late 1960s. So, hope you enjoy this episode, and we'll see you next week. Whip.
1: I got a fever,
2: and the only prescription is more cowbell. So you know how to walk, you know how you know to you ever dance with the, devil in the, day
0: on the Welcome to another episode of This Week in Salsa. And today we have a special guest on the show, Jonathan Goldman. Uh, now Jonathan wrote a very interesting article called Fania at 50. I uh, read this last week, really enjoyed it. I noticed that I had made the rounds around a lot of my salsa dancing friends. And so I wanted to bring him on the show. He was courteous enough to join us here and just talk a little bit about the article and expand upon some of the thoughts there. And this is something that I think can benefit anyone who dances any kind of Latin dancing. There are a lot of interesting insights in this article, which I will link to in the show notes. But that being said, Jonathan, thank you for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me
0: on, Robert. Absolutely. Now, to let the audience just know a little bit more about you, uh, what's your background and how did you come across this story? Have you been writing about Latin dancing uh, in the past or is this uh, a new aspect uh, for
1: you? Well, actually, I I have been writing about 20th century literature and culture in the United States and elsewhere for a long time um, and playing music uh, as a trumpet player um, and leading my own band for a while, too, and the two have never come together before. So um, it, was, it was just after, after years of having these two versions of my life completely separate from one, other, from one another, I finally decided to take the occasion of Fania's 50th anniversary to um, write a little about uh, things I had uh, researched and thoughts I had had about this particular moment in Latin music, the late 1960s and early 1970s.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting time period, and I love that you wrote about this and why don't you tell us to set the stage in this nineteen sixties nineteen seventies very transitory point in Latin music? Just tell us about where Fania in general like is as a as a business at this point in time, and I know they were becoming more powerful as well, but I guess what was Fania known for in the sixties versus the seventies, and just tell us about that transition that was happening
1: right well. Fania came along in the 1960s and um, was uh, an, an independent Latin label at a time when uh, most labels were independent. But um, there wasn't really a, um, there wasn't anything like this. Nothing, nothing like Fania had come before. A, a music label specifically devoted to Latin music that could achieve crossover appeal and that could become this economic giant. Um, And the way it it initially did it was, I mean, they, they were, they, they were very driven and they had fantastic taste. So uh, the early Johnny Pacheco records are amazing. And um, they, they just, they knew what they were doing musically. Um, But, their first really bold step was to, pers- uh, was to put out these Boogaloo singles and to uh, sign someone like Joe Batan who was, um, as everybody knows, not a Latin musician. Uh, he, I mean, he was not of Latino background, um, but he was merging Latin music with uh, the other sounds that everybody would hear in El Barrio, the other sounds you would hear in Spanish Harlem when you look to one side and your neighbors are listening to James Brown and uh, James Brown and Aretha Franklin and Motown. And you look to the other side and everybody's listening to doo-wop and street corner doo-wop music. And suddenly, and you're, and then your parents upstairs are listening to uh, son Cubano and Mambo's. So this all comes together in this place, uh, in Spanish Harlem and Fania tapped into that. Um, they tapped into that moment and, uh, they, it, it enabled them to get on what was called American radio, um, which is disting, which was distinguished from what was called Spanish radio. Obviously, it wasn't Spanish um, in any way of being from Spain or anything like that. That's just what it was called: music where the DJs were in Spanish and all the music was Latin. Uh, radio stations where the sorry radio stations where the DJs were speaking Spanish and all the music was Latin music. Uh, it was. That they were they were on those stations, but they also managed to get on the English speaking stations that had wider audiences and uh, bigger broadcast signals too. Hmm.
0: Now, with that, is that driven by the fact that a lot of these boobaloos were in English, or was it driven by something else? Was it driven by the actual beats? Uh, why did that crossover happen?
1: Well, it was partly that um, it was partly that the that the Sorry. It was partly that the lyrics were in English and it was partly that the, um, music was, uh, to be blunt, the music was simpler in lots of ways than more traditional forms of Latin music were and simpler than salsa would become musically speaking. There's, um, that said that that simplicity has an amazing appeal Across the board to people. So when you, I I know you're a lot of your listeners are dancers. One thing about boogaloo is that it's not designed necessarily for partner dancing, and it's not designed necessarily for people who have been trained or taken lessons or learned picked up by osmosis the dances at all. Mm -hmm. Boogaloo was more about hey, whether you know Latin music or not, whether you've ever heard this stuff this is a groove that will get you up off of your feet and you can just go out on the dance floor and shake your thing. And that was a very 1960s sort of thing going on. That sort of individualism that, um, that shedding the strictures of the past in a way. And I, so Fania, Boogaloo, the dances all came together in this, um, in this very particular way in the 1960s that was very appropriate for that moment. But, um, as I write about in the article, became less important to people when once the 1970s hit. And I don't mean that it's a clean break, you know, December 31st, 1969 to January 1st, 1970. I just mean that we tend to think of history in these periods, and this one maps very nicely onto the transition from Boogaloo to Salsa.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, th- there is some debate over this transition, that uh, And I know that Izzy makes this claim that it was murdered, essentially. So Boogaloo was murdered by Fania so that Salsa could take that place. And there are others that say, well, no, it's, uh, they're going to follow the money. So they felt that there was more potential in Salsa being the, the flagship for Fania as opposed to Boogaloo. Where, where do you, I mean, where do you as an author come across with the results that you've seen from talking to Izzy and talking to other people? How do you think that actually went down?
1: Well, there's the conspiracy I, I I don't want to call it a conspiracy theory, but that's essentially what it is and I don't mean to say that anybody's you know a tin hat wearing conspiracy theorist. I just mean that there is a there is a an, an agreement amongst a lot of reputable people, including Izzy Sanabra, who I cite, um, that in fact uh, there was a concerted effort by the industry, Fanya included, to kill off Boogaloo in favor of salsa. And then there is a agreement among a lot of other very reputable people, including Harvey Avern and Alex Masucci, who I quote in the article, that that's crazy, that we would never, no one would have ever done that if they thought they could still make money. My position is, I, I you know, I don't, I don't want to get involved in this discussion (laughs) in in between these people. And frankly, I don't think it matters that much. I mean, it matters, of course, from the standpoint of if you want to, it's very interesting. But what matters to me is that there was a historical transition of this moment when Latin musicians were making these conscious attempts to cross over and and to create a kind of music that, showed elements of, uh, the entire American culture of the time, pop and rock and, uh, soul music. And then, and then, uh, there was this, and then this thing happened where everybody suddenly realized where, again, it's not that sudden, but gradually the trend became, no, we want to express our culture. Here we are in the USA, here we are in New New York, here we are in El Barrio, but we want to look at our roots and we're proud of our roots and we want the world to know how proud we are of our roots. And so you have Willie Cologne digging into uh the you know the the bomba y plena rhythms and um and La Morga, a perfect example. I mean Willie Cologne is hugely instrumental in this transition, no pun intended of course, on instrumental. <laughs> um and, and the lyrics suddenly, okay, yeah, you can have, you know, we've done these goofy songs about the subway and about, you know, smoking marijuana, but now we're going to do songs about the plight of our people and um, the, the uh, you know, and the way people of Latin descent are living around the world um, and the social and class issues that are facing us. So that's, that's really what that generation Wanted at that moment, and T- Fanya again was right on top of it. And you know, of course, there's a give and take. You create it, and then the people want it more, etc. So Fanya really participated in that transition as well as responded to it.
2: Mm.
0: And so, where where I personally, uh, my own humble opinion on this, where I fall is that I, I believe it was Izzy, perhaps someone else, that mentioned this that. Boogaloo was probably the best opportunity for Latin music to really cross over into the mainstream at that time. Uh, the The salsa music, while it became very popular, I remember that Fania did a whole lot of touring outside of the United States, but it never really got all that big in, in the United States. Now, they were playing in Yankee Stadium and other very large venues, but they even say at the time, like, they saw the money was abroad, right? So, from my perspective, we dance salsa a lot of people who are listening to the podcast dance salsa, and it's nice because it's a special niche of people who really can connect on sauce dancing but a part of me says, gosh, this would have been just so much larger if that crossover did happen, and you would see become much more part of pop culture than it is today. Now, with things like Dancing with the Stars and others, it's making more of a comeback, and a lot of the people that come to the salsa classes, they see Dancing with the Stars and are like, well, I want to try that. I mm-hmm. I wonder in some alternate, bizarro dimension what it would look like if Boogaloo was not, uh, if it was killed or just in decline and that crossover loud music kind of takes credit for it because my understanding is that boogaloo still kind of lives today, and I would love your feedback on this. It lives today, but it lives kind of in the the shell of other music. I, I there was this great documentary on PBS where they laid over the tracks of older boogaloo's and other music into what became very pop pop music, just straight up white pop music. Right, uh, and it has the same cha cha with a backbeat. But, right, but you'd never know that unless you really knew about boogaloo
1: right well i i have so much to say in response to this robert i'm i'm gonna try to you know keep track of all the uh (laughs) thoughts that you just provoked in me one yeah cha-cha with a backbeat describes rock and roll in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and um you know and if you listen to uh if you listen to something like motown you can you know where they actually have congas present to do the cha cha sound, it becomes very apparent. But even you know, I'll be randomly listening to a radio. The the radio will come on and there'll be like Bruce Springsteen or something that you'd never think about the relationship to Latin music. And yet it's right there, on, two, three, con con, two, three it's right there underneath the backbeat. So that's that's just you know, that is that is that is um it is the the Latin music on uh, the history of rock and pop music in America is tremendous, um, but I, a couple a couple things here. This is this is falling under the category of things that didn't make it into the article that I think you and your listeners might find interesting. One, boogaloo wasn't ever a genre the way that salsa was, in that there were very few boogaloo albums. People would put out boogaloo singles, and then they would put their boogaloo track on their LP. Uh, perhaps as the first song on the first side and the first song on the second side. But then the rest of the album would be mambos and discargas and chachas and everything else. And you can actually, you know, most of these records from the sixties, you look at the back of the album and after each song, they list what kind of dance you should do for it. Um, So the, the, the categories are all right there. So very few, there were, there were very few Boogaloo records. There were just Boogaloo singles that the Latin musicians were putting out and adding to their records. Um, and one of the reasons this was the case is that Boogaloo was derided as overly simplistic when it came out by a lot of musicians, and it's derided to this day. And it's interesting that some of the musicians who were calling it bubblegum music insultingly I mean, I happen to love bubblegum music, so I don't think of that as an insult. But some of the musicians who were calling who were who were basically saying this is, you know, this is BS music, um, this isn't real music, this isn't our music, um, at the start of it, they eventually did it too because they they wanted they wanted to see what would happen if they put out a boogaloo single. And so, you know, Tito Puente and Eddie Palmieri, they made some money putting out boogaloos. Um, and then a lot of the musicians who deride it now are musicians who uh, had success doing Boogaloo's at the time. Larry Harlow laughs if you ask him about Boogaloo. You know, he'll scoff at it. And he's on record as saying, "It's you know, it's if you're going to do Latin music, do real Latin music. Um, but he, he had a number of uh, very popular Boogaloo songs um, to his credit in the late 1960s. So... Um, There's a way in which we we can't. It's hard to imagine a boogaloo genre really becoming very popular because it was always a little bit of a you know there was even when it was in its heyday there was a little bit of a fly by night um, uh, character to it. It was always you know it was kind of a a thing meant to be a one hit wonder. I guess. I mean, I I would I and then you know and even in the seventies a lot of Latin musicians would still include boogaloos and things that sound like boogaloo on their salsa records. But then the question becomes, well, if it's not during the boogaloo era anymore, should we still be calling it that? If, you know, you have a Charlie Palmieri album that's clearly a salsa record, but has one song on it that sounds a lot more like boogaloo, um, should we even, you know, like how do we categorize that? That's a a question. You
0: you know, I... uh... I, I just naturally vibe towards different metaphors, and what I'm thinking when you mention that about having one single that is boogaloo and the rest is salsa, it actually reminds me of Eminem. And Eminem, he he was famous for having one or two very poppy, very catchy tracks, and the rest was really dark really intense, very uh, emotional lyrics and, and interesting beats, but not what you would call mainstream. So he would use that one or two, you know, My Name Is or whatever those are to promote the album, and then they'd explore the rest of the album as that teaser. And I feel that Boogaloo also has a similar type of traction where it can reach the masses, and perhaps hopefully from reaching those masses with the one or two tracks that are meant to, then they would explore hopefully the rest of those tracks. And I don't know if that's what... They meant for it, but it certainly reminds me of other artists that that do it that way, where they have very different styles within the same album.
1: I think that's that's really astute, and I'm sure whatever the intention was, I'm sure for many people, uh, that many people, many Latin music neophytes, Boogaloo was their introduction, and people I'm sure bought these records to hear. I like it like that, but then. They were. They became just as uh, just as just as excited by tracks two through five, mm. um, that sort of thing. You know, it's um, um, it's I think Boogaloo did, Boogaloo helped salsa come about by providing uh, helping create the infrastructure of this industry of Latin music that you know it that was it was had been in a different situation ten years earlier. Mm. Yeah,
0: it's and it's really interesting looking at the long view of this because boogaloo was very inclusive, as you mentioned in the article, where it brought all of these different people of different ethnicities together. Whereas salsa was meant as our Latin thing, and it was meant for our people. And now what you're seeing in the Latin dance community is that our people are of all different ethnicities that listen yeah. to this music that was meant for the Puerto Ricans or the New Oricans, right? And it's very interesting how that has come full circle in today's salsa dancing and, and Latin dancing community, where it's, I mean, you have, you have everybody, some of the best dancers in the world, it, people that are known to be the best dancers are not of Latin descent. So you have these really mixed cultures that are listening to this music that was meant for our people. And what I also find interesting is bachata specifically is starting to make this transition that I feel Boogaloo may have had the potential to do back in the day where bachata is now becoming very, very mainstream. And it's interesting. It's nothing like salsa mainstream. This is where you're seeing uh, bachata singers on PBS, on, um, on was it Sesame Street? I saw one of the, huh. uh, Romeo Santos was on Sesame Street. Uh, you're talking about mass appeal and people in their cars driving by listening to bachata, uh, which I never have seen with salsa. So it is making this transition into pop music that, I feel maybe Boogaloo may have had the potential to, but Southside just haven't seen that, that transition. I don't know if, if your analysis goes up to more present-day stuff like bachata, but that's what I'm seeing with current Latin Latin music.
1: Right. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like I, I might have a skewed view of things. I'm in New York. You're in Florida, right? So both <laughs> of us, you know, neither neither of us are living... Well, there's, as, as we know, um, the... Um, Latino population has is is no longer as concentrated in the United States. The Latino population used to, in the United States used to be much more heavily concentrated on a few specific areas, and now it's much more widespread, as we know. And that's you know, and that's that's um, I think a, a fantastic thing for our country. Um, so, but I still don't know. You know, I I live in New York City, which has is so dominated by the Latino presence that. I I can never really assess whether what I'm experiencing is what's going on in other parts of the country or the sure world. Enough. I've been, yeah. I've been hearing Pachata coming out of car stereos for, you know, 15 years now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's the, it's the and echo I,
0: chamber. It's the New York city echo chamber, but I'll tell you, it's not just, not just there. It's a lot of other cities. I'm, I'm seeing it. So, Hey, so Jonathan, I want to be mindful of your time here. I really appreciate this. This is, by far, I mean, not by far, but this is my favorite interview that I've ever done. Uh, just hearing wow. this history, and this is something that not enough sauce dancers are aware of. That That's probably the number one thing is the history of where this music comes from. We just tend to dance to it. There are some that do really follow this stuff. But I hope that all the listeners really get a lot out of this and read the article. Are there any additional resources that you publish related to Latin dancing or anywhere else that... Uh, that viewers should be aware of as a resource related to this topic?
1: Uh, really the best writing on Boogaloo is by Juan Flores, who is a historian at, uh, I believe at NYU. Um, he has the essay on, on Boogaloo, which is called Cha-Cha with a Backbeat, which is um it's on, it's online. It's available online, but it's also in his book, which is called From Bomba to Hip Hop. Um, I, I, I really love a collection called Situating Salsa, edited by the, the late Lisa Waxer, who was a fantastic ethnomusicographer of, um, of, uh, and writer about Latin culture and Latin music, um, much, much of her writings of, about Colombia. But anyway, that book, Situating Salsa, is really great. I, there's, I, really, the, one of the best resources is on uh, the website, discarga.com. They do a lot of interviews, and they're all really great. And they have interviews with a lot of the most important salsa figures on there. Perfect. Great.
0: Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for taking some time here and speaking with me today. And uh, I appreciate your work. I'm sure the whole Latin dancing community really does appreciate your work with bringing issues like this to light. And, and hope you do more of them. If you do, send, send them our way.
1: Okay, Robert, we will do. Thank you very much, and um, best, best wishes to your listeners.
2: Try. Hits right, left, and you do it again. Now we're doing the Brooklyn Boogaloo. The Brooklyn